0: I want to welcome all of you Chiefs fans back this evening. Glad that you could be here tonight. I know that you're heartbroken and in the land of mourning, but it's good to see you. As um, you may or may not know, Sunday night is a time when we sort of of try to take a longer series, typically take the whole year or most of it, to go through a text. And this year we are in the book of Luke, calling it Life with Luke. And as we begin tonight's lesson, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever had a dream or a goal or a mission? Now, of course, you have all had those. You've lived any length of time, big or small, you've probably had a dream, a goal, or a mission. But have you ever had one, or maybe you still have one, that hasn't quite been fulfilled yet? You haven't got to see that enacted. Don't know what your dream is, don't know what your goal might be, or what mission you're on. Uh, if you ask yourself this question about why you're not there yet, or why you lost that dream, that goal, that mission years ago, there likely could be many reasons. Uh, maybe it was harder than you thought. You wanted to do something, and you had a big, big, hairy, audacious goal, and and it was just bigger and hairier than, than you realized Complications and struggles, and it just became a bigger uh, obstacle than you could climb. Perhaps it was costlier than you thought. You you considered it. You figured out the the cost of you know starting the LLC and or or, or launching the thing and or, or getting the website going. And it, you just didn't have the funds to make it happen. And it was costlier than you even when you planned it. You didn't have things that you hadn't considered. Uh, Perhaps there were obstacles that you didn't know existed until you started. Any number of reasons can keep you from reaching the dream, the goal, the mission that you're on. You have to be careful of those things. But the the main reason of all of the reasons is that you lost your focus. Uh, Those those reasons chipped away at why you couldn't or why it won't or why you'll never get there. Now, that was just... Thinking about how we, as human beings, have those things, and we need to consider tonight in our text that Jesus actually was on mission too. He had a purpose in this life. Uh, Whether He and the Father discussed that in the heavenly realms and then He became incarnate, or whether that was revealed to Him by the Father once He got in the flesh, the Scripture does not say 100%. But Jesus had a purpose. In his life. And and he had a limited time to get it done. And when he began his public ministry at age 30, those three short years to not only save the world, but to train the men around him who would go out into the world and establish the kingdom, pretty big, hairy, audacious goal, pretty big objective that he had in front of him. So as we think about that, maybe if you've got your own. Big thing in front of you, uh, maybe there's a lesson you can learn tonight. As you go, as you, as you starting point to, to big goal or dream or mission, uh, there's gonna be lots of things that get in the way. There's gonna be distractions, there's gonna be temptations, there's gonna be misunderstanding people that don't get the vision you're on, there's gonna be people, people that complain, there's gonna be immaturity. Jesus dealt with all of that. Uh, he certainly was tempted. We talked about that, that last week. We, we know that his followers often misunderstood who he was, what he was doing, what he was claiming, and what kind of king he truly was. We know that even those closest to him, the apostles, often didn't understand his own stories. And one of the closest ones to him would turn on him and conspire to kill him and betray him. If you've ever struggled getting to where you want to go, you should look closely tonight as we turn to our text. Luke chapter 4, verses 14 and following, tells the story of Jesus. Maybe he wasn't famous yet. He was he was getting well known. And um, the hometown kid goes back home. So, the text from Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 30, will be page 1103 in the Pew Bible. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you that there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, where that when the heavens were shut for three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land and Elijah was sent to none of them, but to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they had heard these things, all of them in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. All right. An unusual story, an unusual moment in Jesus' life Uh, speaks much to the fact that Jesus was rejected. He, as we know from Isaiah 53, was a man who was rejected and who was familiar with suffering. Clearly, Jesus was rejected many times in his ministry. But this rejection, one of the first that we note in his public ministry, is from people you wouldn't likely expect. We go to verse 14 and look at this. First we note that Jesus was a man on mission. Verse 14 says, And Jesus returned in his power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report went out about him and a report Excuse me, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. Matthew, Mark, and Luke make a little mention of Jesus' ministry uh, in between his baptism and his return to the area of Galilee. But John chapter 2 through 4, I realize it's not Luke, but John gives us a picture that Jesus was very active during that time. He did a lot of things, like that's where he drove out the money changers, He did miracles at Passover, he taught Nicodemus, he baptized and made disciples and so forth. By this time, even though he's coming back home and Luke's kind of jumped to that point, Jesus is growing in popularity. He's known um, as someone who's unique, who teaches with authority, who does unusual things. Um, verse, Verse 15, he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Let's talk about that for just a minute. Synagogues were... Uh, Not the temple. They were places where people gathered for worship and teaching. In fact, the word itself means to gather together. This started about uh, 586 A.D. after the destruction of the temple uh, by Babylon. And uh, they began this custom, the Jewish people did, of meeting, gathering together in one place. The synagogue, uh, which is uh, the gathering of one. Jesus did a great deal of teaching in the synagogues. Uh, outside of the story, outside of this story, there are several examples of Jesus doing that. Luke 4:33. And then in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice. This was one occasion that took place in the synagogue. Luke chapter 4, verse 44. And he was preaching to them in the synagogues of Judea. And Luke chapter 6, verse 6. Turn over one more. Uh, uh, this was the man who had a withered hand, and he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. He entered the synagogue and was teaching. Luke chapter 13 verse 10 was a, a woman with a spirit. <laughs> And the scripture says he was teaching in one of the synagogues in the Sabbath. So this was something that he did. It was his custom, I think, wherever he went. But this was his hometown synagogue. This is I mean, there was no misunderstanding who Jesus was. These people knew him and knew him well. And so you would think that might be an easier audience to preach to. Uh, you'd be surprised sometimes. Uh, though Jesus was well-known and popular to some degree... Uh, Jesus had a misunderstood message. What he was preaching was something that they didn't fully understand. And and we need to give the audience here a little bit of grace because the claims that he were, well, they, they were audacious claims. Verse 16 says, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and was, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. Uh, so Jesus came, came to this hometown where the synagogue where likely he had grown up. And, and this is kind of uh, interesting. Uh, rabbis would stand to, to read and they would stand out of reverence for the word. They would, they would do that. And then their custom was that they would sit in humility to teach the word. I like that. It's kind of interesting. I mean, they 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 would teach from a seated position out of humility and, and showing the audience that they were the messengers. Okay, And they were very different than the word that was spoken, which, of course, had uh, greater authority than the teacher. did. So I like that. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, found the place. It was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He was sent to meant me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the, the year of the Lord's favor. Uh, you probably have found in your footnotes by now, or if not, I'll just tell you. It's Isaiah chapter 61, where... Jesus is quoting from the scripture that he's reading right out of the scroll. And, and he's speaking uh, there in the context about the year of the Lord's favor. And he says, essentially, after he reads this, uh, well, let's look at verse 20. He rolls up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, let's just stop for just a second. Okay, The, the only one who is the fulfillment of Scripture, with, of the prophecies specifically concerning the Messiah, was the Messiah himself. As he begins to teach, Jesus, this well known teacher, is growing in popularity, clearly a prophet of some type with authority from God. And yet they have watched him grow up. And so they've got this disconnect between a guy that we've always known and the fulfillment of a scripture that we've always known. It doesn't seem possible in their minds. He's saying, what this, what Isaiah is prophesying, what he told you about, what you trusted in, I am the fulfillment of that. And He was essentially saying, uh, "What what Isaiah foretold, I am fulfilling." And they knew exactly what it meant. This was a big claim. Clearly, he knew they they understood he was a pra, a prophet and a teacher and a rabbi, but the Messiah—that's that's a bridge a little too far. They're not sure if. If he is the one prophesied about, because they know him so well, and all spoke well of him and marvelled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth, and they said, "Isn't isn't this Joseph's son?" You know, put it in their vernacular, they might say, uh, "You know, we we knew Manny from when he was little. He's a little kid running around the carpenter shop. We see him right there hanging around Joseph. He was, you know, he was uh, always doing some weird things and." He was always changing the drinks at the school parties and he was, you know, doing unusual things. Uh, we knew his parents. I mean, they were just a poor couple. Mary and Joseph, everybody kind of knew them and they, they weren't anybody, anything special. Uh, you see, people who know you, sometimes familiarity breeds contempt. Sometimes you're so familiar with the person uh, that you fail to see the mission they're on. And that was no exception with Jesus. He was an exceptional person, but in that regard, there was no exception. Uh, this, by the way, sounds dangerously close to blasphemy or heresy. If it's not true, it absolutely is. So what was the result of their misunderstanding? Well, uh, the scriptures say that Jesus caused a pretty big uproar in the town. He said to them, verse 23, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Now, now they knew what he was saying. He's, he's, he's reading Isaiah here from the scroll, not the, not the book, but, but he's reading Isaiah. He's saying, I'm the fulfillment of that. He's saying, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, if I'm really that guy, then why don't you do some of the cool things that you've been doing? And they heard what he claimed. They heard that he said that I am the fulfillment of these things. But they didn't believe it, which is a a huge lesson in and of itself. That you can hear Jesus and you can hear what he says. You can know what he says. You might even have it memorized. You might teach it. You might have, have heard it taught. But you can hear what Jesus says, but not really hear it. Was true then is true now, and they were hindered, as I said. They they because they knew him growing up because they saw that the sight of Jesus before he was popular before he was well known before he was a teacher before he was doing the great works that he did, and so they want him to do a miracle. They want him to show that he's got the authority. Okay, prove it. Do for us what you did for them. Uh, Capernaum. Most of our knowledge about this area is from John's account, not Luke's. Uh, Jesus' first year of ministry was spent mostly in Judea. Um, perhaps the, the healing of the royal official's son uh, who, lay, who lay sick in Capernaum, perhaps that happened there. He may have visited Capernaum more than once, but whatever good he had done in Capernaum now had spread to the area of Galilee. Under normal circumstances, Jesus' claims would have required extraordinary proof because they were extraordinary claims. And they say, well, we know about all the things you've been doing in Capernaum, so why don't you do it here? Jesus is sort of beating them to the punch. Now look at verse 25. In truth, I tell you. There were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elijah, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Okay, so Jesus tells two stories, and these two stories are are stories of two Gentiles, of two outsiders that God used when he could use insiders. The the story of the widow of Zarephath is from from 1 Kings chapter 17, and uh, the story of Naaman the the leper, the Syrian leper, from 2 Kings chapter 5. Uh, Both of these stories happened during times of tremendous unbelief and skepticism in Israel. People were very skeptical of whether God was working, if God had stopped working, if God would still work, if God would fulfill what he had promised centuries ago to people long dead. And so God circumvents all of the, other, the Israelites, all the other potential widows and lepers in Israel, and he uses Gentiles. Now, Jesus is telling that story for a reason. Um, And and by the way, just step outside of the moment here, this is, again, Luke, the good doctor, probably a Gentile, uh, often coming back to God using Gentiles in his story. And that's important to Luke. Certainly, Luke thinks it's important to Theophilus. And as uh, Jesus is reminding them that this is not the only time that that has happened in the story of God's people. So does Jesus... does God always have to use those who you would think would be the natural first choice? And Jesus' answer to that is no. There are times when God will use outsiders that you would not expect because the insiders uh, simply have no faith, no trust, no belief uh, what, in what God is doing and what God Himself says He's doing. Verse 28. When he heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and they drove him out of town. And they brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so they could throw him off the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Now, I, I, I know uh, um, uh, there have been a few times when, when I left the pulpit and go, I could have done that better. Um, there have been a few times when after I preached on these were just you know, in a spirit of love, Gently corrects me on course, and I appreciate that. Um, but I've never had a, had an experience like this where, you know, I I preach something that's so offensive to people that I know so well that afterwards, all they want to do is kill me. At least if I've ever done that, you've never followed through on it, so thank you. But when they heard these things, they are outraged. Okay, because, because think about what he's just said. Okay, it's basically, they're wanting him to, 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 to prove it, to show himself, to, to, to show us the bona fides, if you will, to, to, to perform a miracle, do it for other people. We want to see it for ourselves. And Jesus says, listen, God, this is not the first time that God has ignored his hometown, and maybe it's not the last. And they get outraged. That Jesus is going to ignore them and snub them effectively and say, no, I'm not going to waste my time doing a miracle that you're going to debate and probably not even believe. This is the, the first time Jesus stirs up a crowd, at least according to the gospel accounts, but it's certainly not the last time. Why are they so angry? They're, they're, they're angry for a multitude of reasons. We've alluded to one of them, but one of them is the suggestion that God's grace that God's grace might be withheld from God's people and instead be shown to Gentiles. That was absolutely an offensive thing to say. Um, and they wouldn't have expected him to say it. And they wouldn't have expected him to quote scripture to do it and to remind them that God had used people outside of his own hometown to do great things. And they're angry enough to kill him. They're angry because he's slighted them. Uh, They're angry because he won't do a miracle. They're they're angry because they think that his claim, maybe at the core of it, he can't prove it. Maybe all of this is wild rumor and conjecture that that he really hasn't done these things. And if he's unable to prove it, if he's unable to do these things, then then surely he is not the Messiah. And that what he's proclaiming is, in fact, blasphemy. I can see how they got there. They they got there in the wrong way. They came to absolutely the wrong conclusion. But they believed he had blasphemed, and they were insulted to boot. God skipping over his people to show other people who don't know God grace. The gift of a miracle, proof that he's still working. And then Jesus, uh, the last verse there, but passing through their midst, he went away. Jesus is tricky on this one. How he escapes miraculously, Luke does not detail. Uh, whether it was something where he sort of became visible but not tangible, and they couldn't grab a hold of him. It came kind of a projected image. I, I don't know. Maybe he just... Be, maybe maybe it was his way of saying he sort of slipped through the crowd as they they reached for him, and then he was faster than they could reach, or maybe stronger. I, I don't know. The, the scripture doesn't say he escapes, and it seems to be in a miraculous way. This is not the first time this happens either. John chapter 7 verse 30 says, So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. How did that work? Was it Were they just saying that at that time they were unable to arrest him? Or did Jesus, would the Father not allow him to be arrested prematurely? John eight fifty nine. so they picked up th- stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Did he, did he do some sort of? Shape shifting, making himself invisible, or did he simply hide himself? The you know, find a little nook or a cranny and 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 slip behind this door or behind this curtain. We don't know. The scripture doesn't say. But John chapter ten verse thirty nine, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. So so we understand that Jesus was on mission. He knew the things that he would say would be deeply offensive. that, that the people would not understand. I mean. For all intents and purposes, God has had this back and forth relationship with Israel for some time. They get it. I mean, I mean, God gets them. He knows their hearts. He understands that even when he does miracles, they don't tend to believe them. And even if he doesn't do, I mean, th- that there's no when, th- There's this. he's between a rock and a hard place. He's not going to convince stubborn and stone-cold hearts that are set on disbelief. But that will not thwart Jesus from his mission. He remains on mission, and he continues on. May we then take this, probably this one lesson for us, from us, for us in Christ, and for those maybe even who do not yet know Christ. Uh, for us in Christ, we have to do this. Luke's lesson is we've got to stay on mission. We've got to stay on mission. Jesus came in this world had a, had a, had a mission, had a purpose. He had to go through certain towns. He was sent to the Israelites. To some degree he had an had a, a touch and, and a minimal impact on the gentiles. But but as he went about his mission, Jesus made enemies. I read this quote about enemies. You, Uh, and it's attributed to a 1,000 people plus Abraham Lincoln. So probably Abraham Lincoln said it. Everything on the Internet you read is mostly true. That's what Abraham Lincoln said, in fact. Um, If you made enemies good, that means that perhaps you have stood for something. May we not miss this lesson as well. Jesus, the Christ, the son of the living God, the closest to perfection this world will ever know, and not everybody liked him. If you are a Christian, you may be prone to the disease known as people-pleasing. We all fall susceptible to it. We we want to be nice people. We want to be well-liked. We want to be able to use our good attitude and our joy and our love to let the light and the, the salt Go out into this world and make an impact. We want to be nice to people. But you can't be nice enough. When you do what God requires, when you speak the truth in love, you will make enemies. It happened for Jesus and it will happen for Jesus' followers. And This is a spiritual battle. We need not forget that. When you stand for what's right, for what's true, and certainly for Jesus, you are in enemy territory from the, from the enemy's perspective. They see you and I as high-value targets, and, and they saw Jesus certainly as the highest-value target. Sometimes there are less-than-expected enemies. The crowd turned on him and leave him. The apostles would flee and deny him. People from his own hometown were ready to throw him off a cliff. Again, Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. You think following Jesus is going to make you popular and well-liked and loved by the world... You have got a shock coming. Jesus stayed on mission. He was not all about pleasing men. He, he, he stayed focused on the Father. And he made sure he was pleasing to the Father above all else. Notwithstanding our call to, to love our neighbor. We, I, we understand that. But, but the one to whom we live to please is him. And as we do that, sometimes we bring people along, but sometimes people say, "I don't want any of it. I'm not hearing it. I don't. It's intolerant. It's bigoted. It, it is just. It's 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 old uh, fairy tales and silly stories from a silly book that doesn't mean anything to anyone. And if you ascribe to it, then I will have none of it or none of you. Stay on mission. Don't let it get you down." Jesus had enemies too. We're going to have the same enemies and sometimes they will be the people that we do not expect. Sometimes people in your own family, sometimes people that you were have have been very close, have had close friendships with, have shared life with will see you as an enemy. Sometimes a coworker the devil is relentless. And the people he will use. Jesus said. That a man's enemies might be the enemies of his own household. We know that was the case with early um, Jews who came to Christ. That they did so at great cost of their own lives. They lost a lot. But they stayed on mission. If they did stay on mission. That was what Jesus called them to do. John 15, quickly. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you as well. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. In following Christ. That means if you're on the mission that Jesus was on to seek and to save the lost, to speak God's truth in love, sometimes you'll make enemies. Now, I want to make a pause here and say that some people read the, verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. And, and they're hated at work, uh, they don't have any friends, and they just go to John 15:18 18 and say, well, the world hates you, then I'm on the right track. No, that just means you're a jerk. Okay, That doesn't mean anything. What we're talking about here is when you're on the mission of Jesus. There will be times when you have the same enemies that Jesus had. Keep your people skills. Use wisdom. Be as shrewd as snakes and as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. We've got to learn to work in the world. And that means uh, learning to get along with people. That's important for Christians to do. Just because the world hates you, you've got to keep in mind, everybody hates you. There might be maybe something else going on. But if you're doing what Jesus called you to do, and you're doing that in love for the souls of people, that doesn't mean you won't have enemies. If you're not ready to be criticized for your obedience to God... You're probably not ready to be used by God. Didn't Jesus was criticized, you will be too. Jesus was hated, you will be too. Uh, That is an unavoidable reality. But those distractions should not keep us off our mission. Stay on mission. Move forward. Stay on mission. Trust God. Stay on mission. Speak the truth in love. Stay on mission. Yes, you will get down. Yes, there will be times you are attacked. And yes, sometimes those attacks will be quite ruthless. But stay on mission. Jesus didn't forget his mission. And it wasn't to be well liked. Jesus' mission was to seek and to save the lost. So as we finish tonight... I give you the invitation that is always extended. If you do not know Jesus, Jesus himself said he's the only way to the Father. We here in the family at Northside believe that, that he is the only way. And if you don't know anything about Jesus, you'd like to know more about him, or you do know about him and you know what he said to do, uh, to believe, to confess him before men, to be baptized, and you're ready to do that. We'd love to help you with that as well. Or if we can pray for you if you've been struggling, maybe you've experienced some of the hatred, some of the criticism, some of the anger from the world being spit out you as you've tried to be on mission. And maybe you just need us to pray with you and for you. If you have a need tonight, won't you come as together we stand and sing?